Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. So good morning, everyone, whether you're at one of our locations or if you're listening at home. Good morning, and my name's Natasha, and I'm looking at the second part in the series on wisdom that we're doing. And today I'm going to be looking at Lady Wisdom and what she has to say. So let's just pray, first of all. So, Heavenly Father, we really want you to speak to us through your Holy Spirit. Please come to us. Please speak to our hearts and help us most of all to act on what you're prompting us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, Rob looked at the Genesis account and how the word that's repeated throughout the creation story is the word good. And Rob was saying it's God. He's the one who defines what is good. And in Genesis, we have the story of the tree of good and evil. And right within it's right within Adam and Eve's grasp, but God leaves them the choice of whether to obey him, his instructions not to eat the fruit from the tree or even to touch it. And that's when the serpent, who's Satan, um, or, uh, comes up and he presents this question to Eve. He said, this is what Genesis says. The serpent said to the woman, did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? But the woman told the serpent, we may, eat from the tr- the, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you'll die. But the serpent replied, you certainly won't die. God knows very well that when you eat from that tree, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. So Satan presents to Eve that God is actually lying to them and he's worried that if they eat it, they'll become like God. So who do they trust? The serpent who is Satan or do they trust God? Well, we know the outcome. They eat the forbidden fruit and they fall out of relationship with not only God, but with each other. And the world's been living with the consequences of that choice ever since. And that's what this series of wisdom is really about. Which voice do you listen to? Because the voice that you listen to will determine the direction of your life. Satan said to Eve, did God really say, and then he mixes a bit of truth with the lie. He asks if they can't eat from any tree, but actually God has made them rulers over the whole earth, the, the, the entire world, but they only have one tree they can't eat from. And of course, that's what Satan focuses on. And Satan has probably presented that same question to each of us in one way or another throughout our lives. He says to us, did God really say you can't do that? It seems so unfair. That thing seems so good. Now, last week, Rob presented to us the lives of uh, Abraham and Sarah and King Solomon and the choices these individuals made. And he recommended last week that we focus on what uh, King Solomon said, which is in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 4, when God asked him what he wanted and he said, I am only a child and I do not know how to carry out my duties. And he asked God for wisdom. And because Solomon followed God's laws, Israel and Solomon were really blessed. And generally, most people would regard King Solomon's rule over Israel as the golden age of Israel. There's incredible prosperity and peace during that time. And the thing is that King Solomon recognised who he was, that he wasn't wise. And I wonder if we realise 
about ourselves that we're actually not wise. I think most of us think that we are pretty okay. We, you know, we can make the right decisions, but do we actually believe that God knows better than us? So just pause for a second, ask yourself this question. Do you really, in your heart of hearts, actually believe in regard to your own life that God is wiser than you, that he knows better than you, or do you find it hard to trust God's words, the Bible, and trust God for um, working out his plans in your life? So that's what we're going to look at today. What's God's wisdom like and what could stop us from following it? Well, we all know what wisdom is. We know when we see a wise person and they make wise choices. But what's godly wisdom and how's that different? Well, I think the world generally has kind of three levels of wisdom. At its most basic level, it's look after number one, look after yourself, look after the people you love, make provision for them. And then there's the next level of helping or sort of wisdom, which is you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. Let's help each other out here. Some way it will benefit me. And then there's those who are altruistic and who will help others for no clear benefit for themselves. But God's wisdom is different even than that last level when people are altruistic. And it's shown clearly when Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. I mean, let's face it, from a world's point of view, that is basically nuts. But that's what Jesus said. So let's consider what wisdom is written, what's written about wisdom in the Bible. And there's a very ancient character called Wisdom who appears in the book of Proverbs in chapter eight. She's described as a female person or an entity and she assists God in the creation of the world. So in chapter eight, Lady Wisdom says, the Lord brought me forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old. I was formed long ages ago at the very beginning before the world came to be. Now, there are different views on who Lady Wisdom might be. Is she a real entity? Is she a person? I'm not going to focus on that. But what I would like to say is that it was through wisdom that God created all things. And the fact that she's the first of God's works means we need to pay attention to wisdom. And this is what she says. Now, my children, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not disregard it. For those who find me love life and receive favour from the Lord. But those who fail to find me harm themselves. And all who hate me love death. It's pretty extreme language, isn't it? And wisdom says to find her isn't easy. You have to listen. You have to watch. You have to look for her. And there's a clear message that many fail to find her, which is very worrying. And in Proverbs 2, it says, the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds in store success for the upright. He's a shield to those whose walk is blameless, for he guards the course of the just. He protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. So there are three things here. Wisdom comes from only one source and that's God. 
Uh, second thing, God protects those who obey him and he gives them success. And number three, if we accept wisdom, he will give us understanding. He'll change our hearts and he'll help us to apply discretion. And wisdom goes on to say in Proverbs, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance. I hate evil behavior and perverse speech. The fear of the Lord, and this is the key verse, I think, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding, we better understand what it is. And in the Bible, the fear of the Lord is promoted a lot. Now, you might think that can't be right. Why should I be afraid of God? Doesn't, doesn't the Bible tell me that God loves me? Why should I fear him? But there are numerous verses about this. When I just went into Google and just put fear of the Lord, I had 54 verses come up with a quick search. Here's a selection of them. Psalm 128, how blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walk in his ways and obey him. Psalm 34, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he rescues them. Luke chapter one, actually Phil mentioned this um, earlier on in his, uh, when he was having the interview, this is what Mary says, God extends mercy to those who fear him from generation to generation. That means us, we're a generation. And then in Revelation 11, the last book of the Bible, which talks about the very end of the world, the time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who fear your name, both great and small. Now, in the Bible, the fear of God refers to the absolute reverence and awe of God simply because who he is. And to to develop that understanding, it's helpful just to meditate on that. His character, his abilities, his plans and his purposes. And if you've ever climbed a mountain and seen a breathtaking view, or been in the middle of a vast ocean and felt really tiny, or like Phil was saying earlier on, you've held a tiny baby in your arms, you begin to touch on the very edges of how amazing God is. Now, I love space. I love looking at pictures from the Hubble telescope and the complexities of stars and supernovas and black holes, all that kind of thing. And then when I try and understand the concept of time and light years and that, it, that time's only relative, I just can't comprehend it. And then I try and grasp that God created all things. He actually created time and that he existed before time and that he already exists in the future. I just can't comprehend that either. And then there's the fact that God is absolutely pure, righteous and just. But his righteousness means he just won't tolerate sin. In fact, when Moses gave the Ten Commandments in the wilderness, which were the basics for righteous living, the book of Genesis describes God's glory as being on top of the mountain like a terrifying, consuming furnace. It was raging around the top of the mountain and the Israelites were absolutely terrified. They were shaking with fear because they understood that God was so awesome and holy and powerful. God's righteousness and justice means he cannot overlook sin. He has that same regard to any sin, whether it's as small as a lie or it's as major as adultery or murder. He just won't overlook it. 
But on the other hand, God's mercy and love are equally as strong as his justice and righteousness. So on one hand, we have God's holiness that he will punish individuals for their sin. And on the other hand, we have God's love for us, even though we're sinners. And I find this amazing that incredibly, God satisfied his own sense of justice by saying the world's sin must be punished, but I will take the punishment for all human sin on myself. And so Jesus, God's son, comes as a human. He dies on the cross and he takes the punishment for all sin of everyone that's ever lived past, present and future. And in 2 Corinthians 5, it says, it's talking about Jesus here. God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to become sin for us. That's when he's on the cross. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So there's kind of a divine swap. All our revolting sin is poured onto Jesus and all his righteousness is poured onto those who accept his death and sacrifice for them. And for those who repent, and that means to turn around from what you're doing and change the way that you live. For those who repent and ask for God's forgiveness, he willingly forgives them. But for those who won't do that, that sin still stains them and they stand guilty before God. And that's what it means to fear God, that he's holy and he wants us to obey his command and live lives that are just and right. It's no good saying, oh, we believe in God and we love God if we don't obey him. Jesus said, if we love him, we will obey his commands. And if we do this, he forgives us and he protects us and he blesses us. There are extra benefits. But if we don't, we still stand guilty before God. And that's what the fear of God is. Understanding who God is and living in awe and reverence of him and obeying his commands. So there, are there any things that can stop us living in the fear of God and obeying him? Well, I believe there is an alternative fear that can do that, and that's living in the fear of man. Now, of course, it's natural to want people to like us, to be thought well of us and to respect us, but sometimes this can be unhelpful, especially if it helps us or encourages us to go along with the crowd when we know it's the wrong thing to do. Proverbs 29 says, the fear of man is a trap. It's a trap, but those who trust in the Lord will be safe. And here's an example of the fear of man. When I was working in an office, I remember a time when a, a group of people were gossiping very negatively about somebody. And I didn't agree with any of those views, but I remained silent. I guess I thought if I challenged people because they knew I was a Christian, they would think I was being all sort of holier than now. And I felt really uncomfortable, but I just didn't know what to do. So I did nothing. And maybe you've been in situations like this. I think if we feel we've compromised, it's good to pray about this when we're alone. Tell God how we felt, how we feel we mucked it up and we didn't say something because we just didn't know what to say. Because the great thing is in the book of James, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. 
I think that we all face situations like this on a daily basis and we have to uh, recognise that the example that Phil gave earlier and the one that I've just given, they're really good examples of these little decisions that we have, uh, you know, to live in the fear of God or the fear of man. And living in the fear of God means that we're going to be more wanting to honour God in what we do rather than the fear of man. I think in these situations, or I've learned for myself, I can shoot up a quick prayer to God like, help God, help me to be brave. And then I've just sort of blundered in and said something like, hey, may maybe we're not being very kind to this person. And that kind of can open up a conversation. It's true, you can be criticised and even mocked for that. But we need to remember what Jesus says. In Matthew 5, he said, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort. They are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens, give a cheer even, because although they don't like it, I do. And all heaven applauds. It's quite something, isn't it? I think when we're honouring God and living in the fear of the Lord, I believe that God can come to our rescue. And many years ago, I was a complaints manager at a large NHS tr um, trust hospital. And the parents wrote in about a very sad situation about their child who died during surgery. And I started to investigate and to get all the statements from the people who were involved. And I hadn't got a response from a very senior person in, that, in the complaint, so I called him up. Now, this man was known to have a very strong personality and he went absolutely ballistic at me and started uh, swearing down the phone and shouting at me. It was really, really intimidating. And I was pretty stressed because I had no idea how to handle this because I was just a junior manager at the time and he was a very senior um, member of the trust. And then a few days later, I got a... Um, a call from the secretary of the chief executive officer, the CEO, and she said that she'd received a letter from this man who, who was demanding that I was sacked. He said that I had acted unprofessionally and that I'd been swearing and shouting at him, which of course wasn't true at all. Now, I'd only met the secretary a couple of times, but she'd said, I just can't believe that's true of you and I'm not gonna give this letter to the CEO. And I said, you can't do that, that's more than your job's worth. You can't withhold mail, you must give this letter. I have no idea what I'm gonna do, but you just, you know, give the letter to him. And as you can imagine, I went home and I prayed. And I prayed for this consultant. Um, I just felt that he was really stressed um, and anxious about this complaint and that was why he was acting like he was. And I asked God for his help because I thought, what can I do against him? He's very powerful. And you know, I had all these sorts of worries. If I'm sacked, we won't be able to pay the mortgage and how will I get another job? If I'm sacked, he'll blacklist me. I should write to the CEO and lay out my case and defend my innocence. But I felt that God said to me, trust me, I'm fighting for you. You don't need to do anything. And he gave me a verse, which is from the book of Proverbs, which is, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, shining brighter and brighter until midday. So I hung on to that verse. I kept praying, kept thanking God that he was going to do something. And then after about 10 days, the GP of the bereaved parents called me up and wanted to know why they hadn't received a report and what on earth was going on. 
he seemed really nice. So I said, look, can I speak to you off the record? It's a very difficult situation. And I told him what happened. And he said, oh, that's very, inter yeah, that's very interesting. Um, the CEO of the trust just so happens to be a personal friend of mine. And he just so happens to be coming around to my house for dinner tonight. I'm going to talk to him about it. Well, I was really worried because I thought, well, this is confidential, what I've said to you, and you can't say, and he said, just, just leave it with me. And uh, so I thought, okay, I'll, um, I'll, I'll leave it with you. And the outcome was nothing happened, actually. I never knew what became of the complaint. Um, I never knew what happened to the parents, the poor bereaved parents, but the, I wasn't sacked. Nothing bad happened. The CEO never even mentioned the case to me. And what I learned from it was, although I was, it was you know, very stressed in the situation, I learned that if you honour God, you know, I kept praying for that consultant, you know, if you honour God when the cards are stacked against you and you're in a situation that's beyond you, no one is a match for God. He's working behind the scenes and he can protect you. And that you know, brings to life that verse that I quoted earlier on from Psalm 34, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he rescues them. He rescued me in that situation. So in summing up, this is what I want to highlight, that verse in Proverbs 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And this is what this wisdom series is all about, trying to learn to live more in the fear of the Lord and to do those things that would please God. Earlier on, I asked, which voice do you listen to? Because the voice you listen to will determine the direction of your life. Let's just pause and think about that as the band could come up, please. Let's learn to listen to the voice of wisdom more, the voice that encourages us to make daily choices that are right and honour God. You know, I think that God is the most optimistic person because he knows the good plans he has for you, for me, for the whole of creation. He's going to restore everything to a glorious future with a new heaven and a new earth. And when I think about that and who God is, it just makes me well up with joy inside. And I feel I want to fall on my knees and worship him because he is so awesome. So let's just pray as we finish. Father, thank you that you're working in us to help us to live lives that honour you. Jesus, help us to come to you and ask for your help when we need it. And Holy Spirit, just encourage us to be brave and to live lives that honour you and that we can really grow in living in the fear of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk. Thank you for listening.